0: To our Anthropological Theory podcast.
1: Our group topic is on Margaret Mead and her theory on nature versus nurture.
2: My name is Marley and I'm working with Michaela and Kameli.
1: It's December
0: 8th, 2020. I'm here podcasting from home. We all phoned into our Anchor app today as we couldn't get together to make the podcast but we're gonna go with Thank our you next first time hearing each other's voices.
1: But regardless, Margaret Mead is a very important part of anthropology and was a lovely anthropologist who is famous for some of her work in Samoa. She also partnered with many others in the field, including Franz Boas. Today, Miley is going to start us off with some background information on Margaret Mead. So who is Margaret Mead beyond an anthropologist?
2: Um, Margaret Mead was born on December 16, born in Philadelphia and raised in nearby Dosa Pennsylvania, a child of two educators. Matt actually didn't know exactly what she wanted to study, just that she wanted something in the social science. Then she earned her bachelor's degree at Burnett College in New York City in 1923 in sociology and then began studying with Professor Franz Boas and Ruth Benedict at Columbia University. Then she earned her master's degree in psychology in 1924. She made her final decision to choose anthropology due to the inferences from her friend, Ruth Benedict and friend Boas. She was a prominent of broadening sexual convention within the context of Western culture tradition.
0: Some of her famous works are Coming of Age in Samoa, those from 1928, and Sex and Temperament in Three Primitive Societies from 1935. In The Coming of Age in Samoa, Mead describes the problems facing adolescents in modern society and the various approaches to understanding these problems in religion, philosophy, educational theory, and psychology. Mead's findings suggest that in the Samoan community, they ignored both boys and girls until they're about 15 or 16. The children have no social standing within the community before that. In the Sex and Temperament work, she conducts a study of three primitive societies, the Arapesh, Mungdugumor, forgive me for butchering these, and Tchambali, and finds that these tribes have different attitudes toward differences in temperament between sexes.
2: Well, Matt argued that the Arafish and Mungdugumor children developed different characteristics because of the culture they grew up in. The differences between individuals with a different cultural background will result in different conditions, especially during their childhood. But I think both nature and nurture play an important role in children. though stated that the genetic and biological effects are stronger in the environment that discourages criminal behavior, which has a higher rate in crime and lower social classes.
1: Okay, so in this case, I really think we should look at Franz Boas and the impacts he had on Margaret Mead. Franz Boas looked at culture, and as we all know, culture or even anthropology was never addressed in the aspects of children. So if culture is not dependent on culture, on children, then genetics would be that main component of the theory. Yet that also leads up to the idea that because culture is creating children, we would see a lot of nature playing a role. I think a more important question might be, when do we see nature and nurture come over a child? Or ultimately, is it both playing a role through the entire way of their development? What do you guys really think is going on here?
0: I would think it could be, you know, a bit of both. I kind of have a unique situation. I was adopted by a family friend when I was a toddler. So my adoptive parents actually know my biological parents. And um, even though I didn't grow up with my biological parents, my adoptive family can totally tell me when I'm doing certain facial expressions or act just like my biological parents. That's <laughs> just, you know, a random story there.
1: <laughs> That's funny. I'm actually adopted too, but my parents don't know my biological. And, you know, everyone says I look exactly like my adoptive parents, like a great combination of them. So
0: yeah, I laugh <laughs> When people see me and my adoptive mom in the grocery store or something and they're like, Oh my gosh, you guys look so much alike. I'm like Exactly. Really? <laughs> <laughs> we just
1: laughed. So what do you guys think about like the science of it all?
2: Um here I have an example for nature. So in the biological of David David Ramia, who was born as a male, but due to the irreplaceable damage to his genital as an infant, was constructed as a girl by a surgeon. So she, she, uh, he was right as a female. I mentioned this case before because it's the real life story. And even though David's parents write him as a female, his biological fat or gym state support his gender as a wife. It's clearly shown that the culture and society alone could not change the gender rule and gender trait. Therefore, we can see in the David case, it's more biological than social. However, Andrew Collin did a study on the children whose parents are uh, schizophrenic, He stated that the adoptee who has schizophrenic biological parents were more likely to develop a range of psychiatric disorder than who are not at risk, but only if they are adopted into the dysfunctional family. If adopted into well-functioning home, 12% of the children display a petty criminal in an adult world. However, if adopted into the family carrying environmental risk, their rate of petty criminality in adult world rose to 40%. Therefore, we can see that even though the child has the genetic defect, their well-being can be changed depending on their environment. That they are living in. From these two examples and study, we can see both nature and nurture have a great impact on the children's well being and their behavior.
0: That's an interesting case there. Yep. So I guess back to a little bit more on Meet Herself and her work. I thought it'd be important to add some background about the conversations around her work that came up during our research. Um, in an article titled Nature Slash Nurture and the Anthropology of Franz Boas and Margaret Mead as an Agenda for Revolutionary Politics, I love a long one, the author um, Sidney M. Greenfield gives us some reasoning into why Boas' anthropology, Boas being Mead's mentor, was more a social and political agenda than a scientific theory. She was saying that at the time that Mead published her work, a lot of public opinion was focused on young women's behavior. Since this was, was around the time of, you know, the Roaring Twenties and, and females were a little bit more on the wild side. Her research on the young women in Samoa would hopefully be able to prove that parents could fix girls' behavior by the way that they raised the girls. Because well-behaved girls in Samoa existed, it was showing that there wasn't a universal female problem of that time. Greenfield also considers the way in which the book was written it's not written as a typical scholarly writing, but instead as straightforward language that would be easy for people dealing with adolescents to comprehend as well. But I think this part of the article would be a good addition to our conversation about Mead.
1: Yeah. So following after that, Margaret's work was with Nature and Nurture. Mead also conducted stories on contemporary cultures during the war. So that goes more into her political agenda. But in her last 25 25- year she spent time teaching in diverse settings and became a public speaker she served on committees became a curator at a museum and she was granted 27 honorary degrees oh that's a lot oh yeah
2: (laughs) Um, yep
1: uh rhoda matreau had nothing but good words
0: to say um about margaret mead in her statement titled margaret mead a biological sketch matreau said that margaret believed We have the capacity and the cultural expectations necessary to keep our human enterprise going, even though we have also the technical power to destroy our world and our people. Mead was committed to her research and wanted others to act on behalf of her research.
2: Even in how we stay at the end of her life, Mead remained committed to her obligation and wished to travel back to the commit of her research. One of her last conversations was with Madhu, and of course, talking about research. In the last few days of her life, she was still making plans for more project to take care.
1: Well, she is definitely committed to the field, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. Mead passed away peacefully on November fifteenth of nineteen seventy eight. She was awarded the Medal of Freedom by President Carter.
2: Well, I think that's cover all about we have for today.
0: Um, I would say that was a very interesting conversation. Um, Mead seemed like she was really an incredible woman and anthropologist, and I enjoyed reading all about the life and work of Miss Margaret Mead.
1: Yes, thank you to everyone who is tuning into this podcast to learn a little bit more about Mead. It was a pleasure to work with you ladies on this together.
2: Yes, thank you all. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.